So let me uh, start by apologizing for my voice, and it's much better than it was, but uh, I've had a little bit of a challenge since uh, last week, and, uh, but I'm recuperating and getting better, and so if I cough in the middle of this or um, sneeze or <clears throat> have to clear my throat or stop and take a drink, and this is, this is uh, throat coat, which is a really great tea if you're having uh, voice issues, so... Um, there's no alcohol in it, just so you know. Yeah, but uh, anyways, I wanted to mention to you all too, uh, for all you guys, um, on uh, we're having our breakfast here on the 16th of March, and uh, but uh, Res Life is doing a evening. They're grill it and kill it, or kill it and grill it. Excuse me. <laughs> But uh, so they have a guy coming. It's a wild game dinner. It's like 20 bucks a ticket. Um, they're having the bear man, Jim Vastini House. I don't know who that is, Vastin House. But apparently he's a bear hunter. And uh, so he's going to be at this. So any of you that might be interested in this, it'll be down in the front. Bob, could you put that down there for me, please, sir? Thank you. And uh, if you're interested, grab you one of those, and it tells you how to go to the QR code. They are running out of tickets, so if you're interested, um, that's the way to do it. All right. Yeah, yeah. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open it up to Galatians chapter 1. Amen. It's great to have everybody here tonight. I told Sharon I was ready to get back doing this. And uh, fortunately, the, the daylight savings time will be here soon, and then we'll have light all the way by the time we go home. And uh, I always feel bad for folks having to drive. I don't like driving at night myself personally, and I feel bad for folks when they have to drive at night. So, um, you know, we're always respectful of that. And uh, so we'll probably, what we're planning on doing is these classes, uh, these Wednesday night Bible studies, all the way through until October, uh, to the end of October. And uh, then we'll take a break again and then come back. So. Um, we're going to go through here the next several weeks the book of Galatians. Tonight we're going to deal with chapters 1 and 2. And uh, then um, um, next week I think we're doing 3 and 4. And then we'll do 5, 6 the, the next week. And then we're going to move right into the book of, of um, Ephesians. And uh, so I'm excited about this series. I, and I think it's really going to help you. You know, one of the things I've been talking a lot about this year especially is, is that this is not just about us getting information here tonight about what the Bible says. And uh, I don't ever want it to just be at that level, though information is important. You can Google stuff and get information. So, um, you know, questions that you have, things that, that uh, you want to know about. And we want it to be more than information. We want it to be inspired, have inspiration to it. But even more than that, we want the next level up from inspiration is we want revelation. We want to know... What is it? What does God want me to see? And uh, so I just challenge you tonight that as we're going through these uh, different parts of the book of Galatians 1 and 2, some of the things I'm going to share with you, that you're really listening to the Holy Spirit. What is God saying to you tonight? What's he speaking to your heart? How does this apply to you? You know, I always ask those three questions now at the end of service is one is what's God saying to you? Two, what are you going to do about it? And then the third thing is, how can I pray for you? How can we stand with you for what you're going, what you're dealing with? And so I want, I want us to, to set that sort of as the parameter 
that just this isn't a, a lesson on Galatians. This is where we're listening to the Holy Spirit. And, you know, when we talk about that the Word becomes revelation to us, that that's really the key for us to be able to bring application to our life. When we have revelation, we will make application. When we, when we know and it's inspired and we know that that's what God wants us to do, we feel that the Lord is speaking to us, then what ends up happening is, is that out of that, we'll make application. You know, it's like what the scripture says in Joshua 1.8. He said, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate in it day and night that you will observe to do according to all that is written therein. And notice that he said that as you, as you receive that word, that, and you, you, you will then begin to do that word. What you listen to, what you're hearing, is what you inevitably will end up doing. And then he says, and then you'll make your own way prosperous and you'll have good success. And so that's really the key of, of what I want to help you with through these, through these Wednesday nights. And uh, I know everybody can't be at all of them, and I, I would, you know, I'm going to be at all of them as best I can. But I mean, I have a vacation, and I've got a great teaching staff here at Amazing Grace that can step in and help me out too. But, but uh, try to be in as many of these as you can. Bring a notepad with you if you would. Bring your Bible with you because you're going to need it, or at least your electronic stuff, and a way to be able to record things as the uh, as the Lord speaking to you. Amen. So when we talk about revelation and application, of course, the last thing that happens is transformation. And that's what we really want. We want to experience the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And uh, it was really interesting today. I was in a pretty lengthy discussion. Um, this doesn't have anything to do with Galatians, so just hang tight. Um, but I was in a really lengthy discussion with someone that is a third term dealing with cancer. And they just were discouraged. You know, they were just really discouraged about what was going on. And uh, it took me a little while because, you know, just trying to think of, well, how can I help them? Because they were like, you know, I don't know. I've been dealing with this and I fought God's helped me before. But here I am dealing with it again. And I started thinking about yeah, we're not dealing with cancer, but all the stuff that Sharon and I believe in God for, and we see things move forward, and then sometimes it seems like they move backwards, and then it moves forward, and sometimes it looks like things aren't ever really going to change. They're just always going to stay the way that they are. And uh, I had sent this text to, to, I had started texting, and I, I usually don't text books, but this ended up being a little bit uh, long, but I wanted to read it to you tonight because I think it will help you. And there's just a couple of thoughts I want you to think about with this. When we are overwhelmed, number one, we have to remember that even though um, we have to remember that even though God has and will provide, we all go through periods sometimes, long ones, that it seems like nothing is working as God said it would. We all do. And uh, a, a great passage dealing with this is Habakkuk chapter three. I think Jeannie read this a couple of weeks ago, and it just talks about, look, the vine isn't producing and the fields aren't producing. And he says, what do I do? It doesn't look like anything's changing. And maybe you're there tonight. You're dealing with that. And, you know, nothing's changing. And I, and I, and, uh, but the, the, uh, Habakkuk said, but I will rejoice in the Lord my God, and I'll joy in the God of my salvation, and that he will make my feet like the hind's feet, and I will leap over the mountains. And so, look, 
it isn't so much about when my circumstance changed, I'll rejoice. I'm going to rejoice because I know that God said this is going to be taken care of, so I'm not worrying about it anymore. And uh, that, that's easier said than done, obviously. And, which brings me to the next point that I shared with this uh, individual. The earth we live in, including the dirt we are made from, and remember, we are made from the dirt of this earth, uh, is corrupted by mankind's rebellion against God. It will always try to default back to its corruptive nature. And that's true. I mean, you think about your body. It doesn't, your body doesn't try to live. It tries in this corruptive nature. It, it becomes subject to the things of this world. And so it tries to go back to that corruptive nature, not towards life. This will be a lifetime battle for everyone. Some in one area and others in another. Some of it is genetics, which is tied to corruption. Bad genetics is a corrupt thing that God did not design us to have bad genetics. Um, some, of it's, some of that is tied to environment, things that are going on in our environment, which is tied to corruption. Um, and some to our choices, diet, smoking, alcohol, etc., which is tied to corruption. But here's what, here's what I want you to grab hold of in this. Corruption will always try to assassinate the character of God. Corruption will always... That's all, the ad, that's all the adversary ever wants to do is to assassinate the character of God. Did God really say? Is God really going to? He didn't say God didn't say it. He said, is that really what God meant? Is that really what God is going to do? And, you know, you might be dealing with that tonight. I know this individual was really struggling through this. And so corruption will always try to assassinate the, the character of God to kill our trust in his character. And we will feel alone and without faith and eventually without hope. Does that make sense to y'all? So Galatians 3.13, which we'll look at next week, but says Christ has redeemed us from the curse because he became and took the penalty of our corruption. So no matter what, God's plan is for you to live and not die. God's plan is that you will live and not die. Because this individual asked me, after dealing with cancer three times, he said, you know, is God done? Is this it? Is this, should I just get ready to go? And I said, well, no, we're going to fight. Come on, let's not give up. Let's keep fighting in this battle. You know, when that time comes, well, you'll know it. We'll know it. That's okay, but we're not there yet. Now, grab, I want you to grab hold of some of these truths from this. The challenge we face is focusing on rejoicing in what God has done for us, which I'm sure you don't feel like doing today, which I understand. Instead of what we don't we should focus on what we do have instead of what we don't have. All things are subject to change. We fight until the end, no matter what. Um, and uh, then the Lord gave me this word, and I thought this was just so powerful. The same God that said yes to you then is saying yes, yes to you today. Fight and rejoice that you have the tools to fight with. There is no expiration date on God's promises. But here's a thought to add with us, which talks about redemption. We're redeemed by covenant, but, but not by creation. We're redeemed by covenant, but not by creation. We're redeemed by covenant through Jesus Christ. But we are not redeemed from creation because we're still part of creation. And everything in your Bible tells you that all creation groans until the redemption of the sons of God, until the manifestation of the sons of God. Right? So we're going to deal with, because of our crea the creation that we come from, we're all going to battle through stuff. Everybody say stuff. stuff. 
you got stuff, I got stuff. You got stuff that's not working right, stuff that's not happening, stuff you're believing for and it's not turning around, kids that you're believing for, husbands, wives, the whole deal, okay? We all got stuff that we deal with in our lives. Financial miracles we're believing for, on and on and on. But we have to remember that our right, our right to receive is not based off of creation, it is based off of covenant. That we're a new creation in Christ because of the new covenant that we have in Christ. Now we have rights in that to claim what, we, what God has said. But that if we're in a battle and we're in, in this fight, the enemy is out to assassinate God's character in your understanding of the word. To say God isn't going to do this, it's never going to happen, it's never going to change. And I don't think there's anybody here who could say tonight, no, I've never dealt with those kinds of thoughts. Because we all have. Because it's, the, it's, the, it's what we deal with. It's an uphill battle. So my encouragement to you tonight, you know, and, and uh, I really felt uh, just led by the Spirit to share this with you tonight that, that uh, before we got into this, that we have a great covenant. We have a great covenant. We can fight according to our covenant, okay? And even at our best, no matter how good we take care of the created bodies that God has given to us, there's still stuff that your body will try to pull on you, try to do. There's still stuff that will go. You can raise your kids in church and you could teach them the word all their life, but at some point they can make the wrong choices and go the wrong direction. That's not your fault. That's creation. But you have a covenant, hallelujah, and that you can claim that covenant right over those children. Don't claim the covenant, God, I did all this stuff. I did. Look. Let that go. That has nothing to do with anything. What has to do with is, God, you did this for them, just like you did this for me. And I'm standing on this covenant that I have with you in the name of Jesus. And they, I am redeemed and they are redeemed from the curse that is in this world. And I absolutely refuse to allow that curse to win. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time as we come into the book of Galatians. Lord God, we are just grateful that you're speaking, Lord, by your spirit. There are such powerful things that you're wanting to say to us, Lord God, out of these passages. And so, Father, I just believe, Lord God, that those who came tonight hunger, hungry and thirsty to know you, Lord God, your word says that they'll be filled, absolutely. That if they need, Lord, an inspired word, a, a transformative word, a revelatory word, Lord God, to their lives, Father, that you're speaking that here by your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And, Father, we thank you for that. In your precious name, amen. amen. All right, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. The beginning of this book, of the book of Galatians, is Paul defending his call. Defending his call to ministry, to do what he's doing. And Paul is making it very clear that I did not come under an ecclesiastical authority and I'll explain what that means, an ecclesiastical authority to do what I do. He said, God called Jesus Christ. Look, I was going down the road in Damascus and got knocked off my horse, basically. I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't looking for answers. And God told me, this is what you're going to do. And so he's saying, look, I wasn't called by men. I'm not operating under that authority. And this is going to be really important, especially in one and two, because Paul is going to be defending that what he knows, he did not get from other apostles. And he did not get from the church. He got this through revelation of Jesus Christ to him personally. 
And this is really key, and I'll explain why that is a little bit later on, but it's really key for us to understand that that's what he's really dealing with here because this group of people have come in from Jerusalem and they're what are called Judaizers. And what Judaizers were were people who said, look, you can become a Christian, but if you become a Christian, you still have to follow the tenets of the law. Now, there are in the scriptures... In the Old Testament, there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. 613. Some of you are reading through uh, the book of uh, Leviticus with me right now. Jeannie was putting, I get lost sometimes in it. I do too. Um, but uh, there are 613 commandments. I brought with me tonight a uh, what's called a tallit or a prayer shawl. This is mine. And uh, I just have it. As just like I would have a cross, it just reminds me of stuff. There's no supernatural significance to this, okay? Yes. Okay. Jesus is in us. That's the significance, right. okay? Yeah. Not the outside stuff. Just like this building. It's a great building, and we worship in here, but it's just a building. So it's not better than any other building. It's just better because we're using it. So the Jews, what they would do is they would wear this, and this is their tallit. And they had rules that they had to follow. And so Jesus wore one of these. Probably wasn't as fancy as this. But they would wear these. And then when they would pray, they would bring this up over their head. Okay? And cover over. So this was the closet. Do you remember what Jesus yeah. said? Go to your closet. So he, basically when you're in here, all you're seeing is nothing. Okay? So that's what his point was. Is that, you know, just get rid of the distraction. But why I wanted to bring this tonight to you was because on every prayer shawl would be these strings. And it's interesting that on all of these, that if you add up all the knots that are on here, it adds up to 613 knots, which the Jews recognized as the 613 laws that they were to abide by. And uh, so when they would go through these, they would be able to count out those knots. Some of them, the first 10 of the 613 are the Ten Commandments, no other God before me. And so they would know those and quote off as many of them as they could as they would begin to run through these knots. And they're quoting this, uh, quoting the, you know, everybody didn't have a Bible, right? So they couldn't do that. But uh, that this became an intricate part of what they were all about. But the reason I, I, I wanted you to see this is, is that 613, just to get a picture of it, we barely can do the first five laws that are in the Ten Commandments. And they had 613 things they had to do to be right with God. 613. And you think about living your life like that. You're living, this is what the Judaizers are coming in and saying. They're saying, look, you accepted Christ. We get that. That's okay that you did that. But you got to go get circumcised and you got to start following. You got to start doing all these Jewish rituals. You can't, you still got to practice the feast. You got to do all of these things because you're not really going to make it if you don't. You're not really a true believer unless you do all of those things. And see, the danger of that is, is that, and this is so true, whether we like it or not, is typically out of the 613, we pick the ones that we're doing and everybody else is not doing. Right? It's like down in Marietta, they used to say, I don't, I don't, uh, I, no nipping, dipping, or sipping. Right. Well, okay, but gossiping apparently is okay. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> Talking bad about people and cutting them down behind their neck, that's all right, right? Because 
you know, at least I'm not nipping. See, that's how we do with the law. What ends up happening is, is that we don't basically, we, we don't judge ourselves. We judge other people by those laws and say, well, they're not doing this. They're not doing that. Well, they didn't, you know, and, and look, all of those things were all changed under Christ. Not that the law was eliminated. It was not eliminated. But the law shows us that it is absolutely impossible. It is absolutely impossible for anyone to do all the law to be right with God. And that's really what the law reveals to us. In fact, in this book alone, the book of Galatians, the law is mentioned 32 times. 32 times it's mentioned here. Faith is mentioned 21 times in this book. So when Paul is dealing with this about the law and he keeps bringing up about the law, He's not discrediting the law or the importance of the law. But he, what he is doing is he's coming back and saying the real importance is that you have a relationship with Christ, uh, that, you're, that, that that foundation of your relationship is in Jesus Christ, and that you recognize it's by faith, and it's not by everything that you're doing. It's not by that you're living the perfect life. It's that you believe in the perfect one. The perfect one. And, and like I said, you know, okay, so if we wanted to base in, in our Christian, you know, we wanted to base our Christianity off of what we do, okay, um, we're going to be in trouble because we all know that we, we're only going to tell the side we want everybody to hear. We're not going to tell the other stuff. We're not going to talk about the fearful nights, the anxious days, the anger that we have towards people, the resentment that we carry in our lives. We're not going to talk about any of that. We're not going to talk about the stuff that we doubt God or don't believe that God's going to do something or that question God. That's not going to be generally a part of what we're going to focus on. We're going to tell the good parts of the story. And I get that. That's human nature. That, was, that would be what we would do. So these Judaizers, they're coming in and they're saying, Paul is not an apostle. He has no right. He didn't go under all this ecclesiastical. He, Peter didn't ordain him. Paul didn't, or, or excuse me, James didn't ordain him. None of these people in Jerusalem have condoned what he's doing, and which, which uh, it, it is really an interesting thing that, 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 that that's why he felt like he had to start there to make it clear that, look, I'm not under this ecclesiastical authority. I'm under Christ's authority. That's where I've got, and that's why he's starting out in this book this way. Because there are some people from Jerusalem that show up and actually cause trouble um, and uh, there are actually people that are under James' ministry who is the half-brother of Jesus, who was the uh, pastor of Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church, and they have showed up, and they're going to create some problems later on. Um, one of the things, that, too, that I think this really refutes is the idea about apostolic succession. It, does anybody know what that is? So apostolic succession is, is that you should be able to, if you're ordained, you should be able to trace your ordination all the way back to the apostles. So that means that, you know, Peter laid hands on Andrew or whoever, okay, Luke, or laid hands on Mark, it would be for uh, Peter. And uh, Mark laid hands on so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And then one day somebody laid hands on Richard Jolliffe. So there is an apostolic succession of anointing that passes through. Paul totally throws that out the door and says, uh-uh. 
I'm anointed because Jesus Christ has anointed me to do what I'm doing. And so this really just kicks back at the whole system that's set up. And Paul's kind of like that. He's sort of like a rebel with some of his, the things the Spirit spoke to him. So I just wanted you to realize that that's really why he's starting out this way. And, um, you know, and he says, look, I just want to say hello to all of you and all the brethren who are with me and to the churches of Galatia. Now, if you're writing down uh, information about Galatia, Galatia is not a city. It's a province, okay? It's a province. It's, in nor- it's uh, part of Turkey. It's about the midsection of Turkey to the north. Um, and basically it was populated under the Greeks um, uh, during the Greek Empire by people from Gaul, which would be up towards France and places like that that moved into that area. And um, so they come into this area. Paul's coming in to preach on his first missionary journey as he's traveling through, and he's going into different towns. In fact, I keep a finger there and go to Acts 14, if you would. Acts chapter 14. And uh, I want you to see this, the travels that he did. So you remember that Paul got the word to go to Antioch? Okay, so Antioch is in that Galatia area, all right? So he's gotten this word to go to Antioch. Um, Galatia, if you look, I don't have a map here with me tonight, but Galatia would be, um, would be east of Ephesus. So where we were at in Ephesus, it would be directly east out in the, basically out in a plateau area. And so you're going to have different towns that are there, towns like Lystra, um, towns like Derby, uh, towns like Lyconia. And uh, so these are all the different places that are out there, uh, different cities that are there. So when Paul is writing to the Galatians and he's talking to them, he's talking to this thing has happened in all of the churches there. These Judaizers have showed up and they basically have got the church all confused. Did you find Acts 14? All right. So look at verse one here, just how to hit Paul's uh, work there and what happened. Now, it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and of the Greeks, believed. And there would be a lot of Greeks there. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews, part sided with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews, with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, (coughs) excuse me, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting a cripple beside from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand straight up on your feet. He leaped and he walked. So a miracle happens while he's there in Lystra. This is Galatia. And now when the people saw that what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes uh, or Mercury because he was the chief speaker And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. And when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out, said, Why are you doing these things? 
We are also men the same as your nature and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. And then as he's preaching all this, and then they, 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 they have problems. They get stoned. I mean, he gets attacked for it. And uh, because they're calling down on these people, these false gods. So just kind of get the picture here of what's happening. They're in what Galatia, the spiritual composition of Galatia is obviously you have some devout Jews there, but you have all of these pagans that are living there who are worshiping Zeus and, and uh, Mercury or Hermes. And, uh, you know, so their whole focus is not on Christian faith. Their whole focus is on all these other guys. And in fact, in the, this guy gets healed miraculously in this meeting. And you still are surrounded by all these pagans who don't really believe any of what he's really, they don't understand at all what he's talking about. But out of this, that it's, it's, it's really interesting because Paul gets beat up and stoned. And a lot of people believe he dies at this point. And the church, get, people gather around him and begin to pray, those who have become believers. And they begin to pray for him and God raises him up. And you know, Paul, the hard head that he was, you know what he did? He went back into the city. He didn't even let that phase him. He's like, well, I'm going back to preach. You'd think you'd be like, well, I'm heading to the next town. These guys are knuckleheads. I'm out of here. But no, man, he went right back to the same city. So that just helps you with context. So when you think about it, you know, Galatia is like Gratiot County, if you will. You know, that's Alma and St. Louis and everybody has their own thing in their own cities. But it's still part of a big, a bigger province or a bigger area. And that's really what Galatia was all about. Paul visited this place twice. He, he went in on his first visit, obviously, in Acts 14. And then in Acts 16, uh, they come back through here uh, as well. Good. How are we doing on time? Oh, boy. Grace to you and peace from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 4 of chapter 1, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, who, to whom be glory uh, forever and ever. Amen. Then he goes right after them because these Galatians have now begun to fall away from the gospel. He said, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And it's interesting, if you look at this word pervert in the Greek language, it means to reverse or turn back. So what he's saying is, look, you're, these guys are coming in and they're trying to turn people back to an old system when Christ is coming to establish a new testament, a new covenant with us. And he says, but even if we, one of us, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than that we have preached to you, let him be accursed. These are really strong words. When he made this statement, accursed, in the Greek it means anathema. And uh, this is a pretty strong curse that he would have said that you should have nothing to do with these folks when they say these things. Now, we sit on our side, okay, and we say, well, man, okay, so why did they get away from it? What happened that they got away from the message? The reason that the, the original message that Paul had brought, well, it's no different than what the church has done. You know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, the church would have been totally anti-abortion 50 years ago, let's say, or 60 years ago. 
I mean, there were for hundreds and hundreds of years, we valued the life of, a, of a, a, an unborn child. But through years of media and years of politicians and years of things being said and years of people not looking at their own Bibles, looking at the gospel, the truth, people have changed their views. People have changed their views. The same is happening in the LBGTQ community as well with the church. There are right now churches, churches that were fundamental in their belief system. I mean, absolutely fundamental in their belief system that, that, there's, that marriage is between one man and between one woman, and it is nothing, nothing else is permissible. All sex outside of those contexts is off limits, period, that are now compromising what they believe. And some of them, if I met, and I'm not, you know, usually there's some main lines I can bring and you go, well, I'm not surprised, but I could bring up some that you know that are very fundamental and you would go, you got to be kidding me. I know pastors that are pulling their churches out of those denominations because they are absolute, or they're going to get out because they absolutely refuse because see when the next step and, and look, I'm not anti-LGBTQ. I'm anti-going against what the Bible teaches, okay? So that you realize that's where my heart is. I'm not picking on people or a people group. But the next step then is just as it's been in every one of these denominations that adopted a more lenient view and began to accept uh, the marriages of uh, same-sex people that they're going to get the clergy will be the next thing. They'll be ordaining people in the ministry for that. How in the world? How did that happen? How did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. Because we're not looking at the truth of what God has said. Jesus ceased to be the focus. And, you know, look, I believe that Jesus taught us to love. And we should love. We should love all people with the love and compassion of Christ. But you can never let the love of compassion of Christ supersede the words that he has himself declared about what is right and what is wrong. Amen. You can't. You gotta, you gotta follow both. And we can be compassionate and still be conservative. I didn't get many amens on that. But we can be. We don't have to be ugly. Do you understand? We don't have to be ugly. We can be compassionate and loving. And uh, so... You know, Paul's saying, look, how did you guys get off base here? Come on, man, I was just with you, and now look where you're at. Look where, you're, look where your views have all changed. He said, look, you need to know if somebody's preaching something contrary to what you have been told that the gospel is, he says, you need to cut that out of your life. You don't need to listen to that and have that in, that in, your, uh, that in your life. He said, look, I'm, verse 10, for I, do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I please, still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I'm not doing this to gain your favor. I know I'm making some pretty strong statements here tonight. And, and look, but I'm not trying to win. A, I'm not running for a politician, okay? I'm not looking up for a political position. I want to help God's people recognize the truth of what God's word is. And I, I would probably guess most of you here wouldn't have an issue with what I'm saying. But look, the world is a mess right now. Absolutely. It's a mess. Because it, it is, a, realize with sin, there is no end. There is no end, end with sin. Sin is pleasurable for a season, but then it gets wonky. It gets crazy. See, now, like we just read this the other day. I'm sure some of you saw this, that parents in Indiana, their kid was taken away from them because they wouldn't use the right pronouns with the kid. Yeah. Took, took their kid out of the house. 
And they said, well, it will help the kid's eating disorder. So they took the kid out of the house and took him away from their parents because they wouldn't use they and their instead of uh, what, what it was. I believe it was a girl, um, you know, her, calling her her and calling her by her real name that she was given at birth. And uh, so they took her away. They said it was abuse and it was causing her to have problems with her eating disorder. And uh, so they put her in a foster home that was pronoun affirmative. And you know what? Her eating disorder got worse. So there you go. It didn't fix anything. Because it won't. It won't fix anything. And see, my point with that is, is that, look, the, it doesn't end with where people think it will end. It won't end there. Where it's at right now is not the end. It's going to continue to get even real, you know, when you've got people wanting to be furries, you know, and be, you know, and they need to have a, a cat thing at the school school so they can go to the bathroom in it, then you've got real problems in America. Yeah, it's going to get worse. So, but for us, that should not change who we are. Should not change who we are. We should stand for the truth of what we know the word says, but we walk in love. And so Paul's saying, look, I'm not telling you this because I'm looking for your approval. I'm telling you this because I'm the bondservant of Christ. Verse 11, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, because I didn't get it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so once again, what's he saying? Look, I didn't get my ministry from the church. I didn't get the revelation I have from the church. What I'm bringing to you, Christ gave to me specifically. And he'll talk a little bit in a little while how that came. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And it advanced in Jude- I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me. And I want you to underline that, to reveal his son in me. And you could miss this just reading through this. But this is what Paul is really going to emphasize throughout all four of the prison epistles will be the strength of what he's going to talk about is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That it's not about the external, it's about the internal. If Christ is in you, and he finishes the book, Galatians really hitting this heart about the spirit and the fruit of the spirit. But he's saying, look, it has been revealed. His son has been revealed in me that I could preach him among the Gentiles. Now, some of you have used the King James. It uses the word preach him among the heathens. The word here uh, that's used for Gentiles and for heathens is the Greek word ethnos, which means all ethnic groups, all ethnic groups. He said, so basically what he's saying is he revealed his son in me that I could preach him to all the different ethnic groups of the world. Hallelujah. How powerful is that? He said, I didn't go talk to anybody about this. I didn't immediately go confer with flesh and blood. He's talking about the people in Jerusalem. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And a little bit later on here in verse, um, a little bit later on here, he says in verse 18, I was there for three years. So what he does is for three years, he's in Arabia Damascus is part of Arabia, but he heads north into Arabia and he spends his time away from everybody. He's not talking to Christians. He's not talking to anybody but God working probably as a tent maker. And he's trying to sort out Christ in me, this whole revelation of what Jesus is revealing to me. 
You know, when you, when you think about it, how did God appear to Paul that Paul's going down the road, he's got a bunch of guys with him, they're all traveling, they're persecuting the snot out of the Christians. I mean, they're after them, they're beating them, killing them, whatever they got to do. And while he's going down the road, all of a sudden, bam, he gets knocked off of his donkey or his horse or whatever he's riding, and he hears, he hears these words. I want you to listen to what the Lord said. You can study this in Acts later on. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Paul, or Saul, never knew Jesus. He did not know who, he wasn't part of this whole, he may have heard about it, but, you know, think about this. Why did Jesus say, you're persecuting me? Not, you're persecuting my people, not you're persecuting my church. He's taking it personal and saying, you are persecuting me. And he says, who are you? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> he said, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. I believe that in that three years that he's in Arabia, this is what he's trying to sort out. And he comes to the conclusion when he leaves Arabia and heads back to Damascus that Jesus is obviously in his people. Because I beat him on the outside, but there's something on the inside that has changed their lives. And he comes to that conclusion in all of his teachings in the epistles. You know, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, about being in him and about in whom and all the different things that he says. They all relate back to that Christ, that power of Christ that is within us. And this is not what, look, this is not what the rest of the apostles were preaching. In fact, Peter said in his, in his own book, he said, and you know how God is revealed to how, to Paul that Christ is in us. This is a revelation that Jesus gave to Paul to take to the world. And it doesn't matter whether you're black or you're white or you're a male or you're a female, which we'll see that here in Galatians. It doesn't matter if you were the worst sinner in all the world. Christ can be in you. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. That God doesn't look at us based off of how good we are. He looks at how good, how good Jesus Christ is and comes not just, not just to give us life insurance so we get into heaven and skip hell, but he gives us his nature and ability within us so that we can live his life while we are here on this earth. Right. Glory to God. Amen. And that's what Paul was bringing. And that is way out. Because remember, Judaizers are all about the 613 commandments you got to do. And now he's saying, look, guys, that's not how we started here. How in the world did you end up back at this? And uh, so he goes on and he says, um, and so I returned again in verse 17 to Damascus. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him for 15 days. And I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterwards, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea who were in, which were in Christ. And notice they're in Christ again. But they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. Then after 14 years of doing that, so he, he's preaching during this time. During that 14 years, he says, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I took Titus with me. 
And I went up by revelation, and Titus was a Gentile that had converted. And I went up to, uh, by revelation, and communicated to them that gospel. So when he says, I went up by revelation, that means that the Lord told him, this is the time to go and tell this now. 14 years, four, 14 years after he's already gone and talked to them, now he says, God says, they're ready to listen. Go back and talk to them. So he says, I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel, which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. He said, yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, to follow, to basically fall back under what the Judaizers wanted. And this occurred because a false brethren secretly brought in who came in to, by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission for even an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it doesn't make any difference to me. I love that line. God shows personal favoritism to no man for those who seem to be something. They didn't add anything to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel of circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who, and this is not the James, the uh, brother of... Uh, no, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, not the other. The other James has already been, he was killed in the street. Um, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace, the gift that had been given to me. They gave me Barnabas, me and Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship. I like that. That we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we would remember the poor and the very thing which I was eager to do. So at this point now, what we have is, is that we have... Three years, right? And 14 years. 17 years has passed since Paul got knocked off his donkey or horse or what? Was he riding a horse? I can't remember. Whatever he got knocked off of, all right? 17 years later now, the church, he, he, by revelation, he knows it's time to talk to them about this revelation that he has and what he's called to do. But isn't it interesting that in that 17-year period, there are things that are happening but it really has not changed the church much. And I'll tell you one of the things that has happened, and we'll see how it didn't change things much, is, is that Peter received the call to go to Cornelius' house. That happened in Acts chapter 10. And Peter, you know, as the testimony goes, Peter was up on the roof, you know, and he saw the animals come down. And there were unclean animals and clean animals. And the Lord said, kill and eat. Peter said, I've never defiled myself. I wouldn't do that. And the Lord says, what I've said is clean is clean. Go ahead. Have some bacon. So he just basically, you know, <laughs> laid him out, said, it's okay. Go ahead. But three times it had to happen for Peter. Peter doesn't know what it all means. In fact, it tells us a little bit later in the passage in Acts um, and you can read all this in Acts 10 later, that Peter, he's thinking about what happened and somebody's at the door downstairs. And it's these guys who have come from Cornelius' house who is a, who is a Gentile. Uh, and they say, we'd like you to come over. And the Lord says, go with him. So he goes with these, go with these people. He goes to their house. 
And look how everything just gets turned upside down. That's one of my favorite uh, passages in Acts. Is, is that Peter goes in and Peter's thinking how that God has done stuff in, in before. And so he goes in and starts talking to Cornelius. And he finally figures out that this is about God accepts you. And obviously, you know, he says what I've made, uh, what I've said is clean is not unclean. And, and so these all these Gentiles are in there. All these Romans are sitting there. And, and Peter's thinking, okay, now it's time for the altar call. And uh, so I just want to share. And before he can get to his altar call, they all start speaking in tongues. They all get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I mean, just like that. I mean, it isn't even like he said, okay, now we're all going to pray that we can receive our prayer language right now, or we're all going to start speaking it. He didn't even talk to them about what happened in Acts chapter 2 to them. He just is up telling them about Jesus and what Jesus has done and that he accepts you. And bam, the Holy Spirit floods the room. They all get, and then Peter goes, well, I guess we should baptize these guys that have all gotten filled with the Spirit like we have. So then they take them out and they get them all. Notice how it's all turned upside down. It's You know, we wouldn't do that in a church, right? I mean, we wouldn't be like, okay, so you get saved and then you get baptized and then you get baptized in the Holy Spirit because you can't enter into any more depth with God until you, you know, you've done it. These guys got saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit just like that. Hallelujah. And Peter comes to the conclusion at the end. He says, well... I guess we could say that God has accepted them. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, remember this dude's not like a seminary student. He is a fisherman. So, right. you know, he's like all of us. It takes him a minute to figure it out. But he got it. And he says, look, I, obviously this is, this is God. This is what God has done. But after all of that, the shift has not happened in the church because when we get to chapter when we look at chapter 2 I'm almost done uh, verse 11 so Peter came to Antioch and I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed so this is after all of that for before certain men came from James he would eat with the Gentiles but when they came he withdrew and separated himself fearing those who were of the circumcision so these are uh these are people now that are part of James, the half-brother of Jesus, part of his crew from Jerusalem, okay? And they've come in to see what's going on. Peter sees them coming, and it says that he separated himself, even though he'd already been eating with these guys. He'd already been partying with the Gentiles. I mean, he'd been sitting down. It was all awesome. And it says fearing. And in the Greek, this word fearing here means he hid in terror. Well, this is the guy that had the revelation, right? I mean, I just thought he just had this amazing revelation with Cornelius, this great experience in his own words. Said, obviously God has accepted the Gentiles. But he's afraid. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. <laughs> and even Barnabas, who's Paul's right-hand man, was carried away by their hypocrisy. So see, even though they had, ex had sort of accepted it, obviously there was still a lot of issue with this. And Paul, he wasn't going to put up with it. And you know, he didn't really care whether Peter got upset or not. He just said, look, you're wrong. What you did is wrong. 
and he, he lays him out and says, um, how, can you, how can you ask them to do this? How can you ask them to change? In fact, he goes on in verse 14, and he says, And when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? I mean, you've already been partying and eating their food. And when we talk about eating their food, it probably was stuff, stuff that had been sacrificed to idols, okay? And he's saying, look, you were eating that stuff. You were doing all the same thing they were all doing. And now you want to act all spiritual like you're, you're, you're not doing that. He said, we who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no, man, no flesh shall be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners in Christ, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. Verse 18. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. This is really, this is really important. And I, I, young in, early in my Christian faith, the, the Lord really spoke this verse to me. We as believers have to be careful that we're not trying to rebuild something in our lives that God has destroyed. Yeah. Okay? One of those is your past sins. And if you try to let those past things come back into your life and haunt you, you're allowing it to try to rebuild. It doesn't belong in your thoughts. It doesn't belong in your life. It's destroyed under the blood. As far as the east is from the west, the Bible says, is red as crimson, now white as wool. I mean, it's gone, okay? I don't care how perverted you were. I don't care how messed up you were. Look, it's under the blood of Christ. But you can rebuild it if you want to. And what he's saying here is that, look, you can rebuild. We, we're trying to rebuild something that God has said, that's open. That's open. And it's time for us to move on. It's time for us to move into what God has said to us today. And I realize, you know, that, that almost to these guys would be very difficult for them to receive because they were so. But remember, Paul, he was one of them. Right. In fact, he was better than all of them being a Pharisee. He was... The Pharisees said of Pharisees, I was good, man. I was good at what I did. But he said, God told me to walk away from that and that this is the life that we're supposed to live. And he goes on in verse 20 and he says, I am crucified with Christ. He said, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I live now, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. That's the gospel. I am crucified with Christ. And he really lays this out with such powerful strength to them. And he's saying, look, it, it's not about all this other stuff. Because if the law could have done it, we wouldn't have needed Jesus. We would never have needed Jesus. But because of the law, the, the law guided us to who Jesus would be, what Jesus would bring. Jesus obviously fulfilled all of the law, the Bible tells us. Every part of it. He was the only one that ever did. That ever did. And Paul's saying, guys, it, it boils down to this. Our lives are crucified with Christ. Our identity is in Christ. Our focus is in Christ. 
We're not going to allow to build something back up in our lives that God has said is over with. That's over. You know, tonight you might be struggling with stuff from your past, but listen, that's over with. It's dead and buried. Amen. And leave it dead and buried where it belongs. And anytime the enemy brings it up or your thought processes or your neural pathways try to remind you about stuff, you just say out loud, no. No. You know, there's different kinds of no's, right? Right? There's different kinds of no's. There's no. I said no. And there's no. And when our kids would do something that we knew would be harmful to them, they'd go, no. <laughs> he said, no. That does not, that's not going to happen. Don't you do that. And they knew we meant business when we said it. You've got to say that to yourself as well. Your mind starts bringing up your past. Your mind yeah. starts bringing up that you got to do all this. And you know you're paying a debt today for something you did before. That's all baloney. You're not paying a debt for anything. Christ paid a debt you couldn't yeah. pay. You couldn't pay. And it's buried in Christ. And, uh, you know, and, and I, uh, I'm going to have to stop. But, you know, the real, the, the real beauty in all of this, in which Paul brings out in the end, is, is that you really will walk in a higher spiritual level of obedience to God than you ever could under the law by accepting Christ into your life and allowing His Holy Spirit to take control of your life. Isn't that powerful? You know, people a lot of times in the church are like, well, we've got to preach legalism because, you know, people will sin. Well, they're going to sin with or without the preaching on legalism. I can tell you that right now. You can take me to the best holiness churches in the world, and I can tell you right now there's stuff going on there. But the thing is, is, and I'm not judging them, I'm just saying there's just people are people everywhere, no matter what the denomination is. And what we need to recognize is, is that it is Christ in us that is the hope of glory. And as Paul said, look, I'm not, I'm not going to set, verse 21, he said, listen guys, I don't set aside the grace, of, the, the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And I don't believe at all that Christ died in vain. I got four minutes, so I'm just going to close with this thought. Martin Luther, this, pat, this book changed his life. This book changed his life. The just shall live by faith. That was his motto. You know, when Luther, when those of you probably remember Luther, that more for that he tacked the, uh, the, the 95 Thesis to the Wittenberg Wall and uh, challenged the Catholic Church. I mean, he was a Catholic priest. But he challenged the church. Luther had done all of the things that you had to do to get close to God in, the, in, in that type of Catholicism. And uh, he would climb the steps on his knees until they were bleeding. All the way to the top of the tower to pray. Because he wanted to be humbled before God. Thinking that that would draw him closer to God. But he always walked away empty. Knowing he wasn't any closer with God. And then it was on one night that he heard the words from God. The, the revelation came to him. The just shall live by faith. Galatians was a liberating message to him. And uh, he challenged the church. Because at that time, you know, I mean, if you know anything, it's not like necessarily like how the Catholic Church is today. But back in those days, I mean, you know, the Pope was infallible. He couldn't make a mistake. So whatever he said goes. And that you, everything you did was by your works. You get 
good with the church, you give enough money, you do all the right things, and you get to go to heaven, maybe. And if you don't, then your family can help get you out of purgatory later on by helping giving to the church. And, and he challenged it. He just said, look, it's all a lie. All, I mean, he challenged every part of that through the scripture. But it all started right here with what we're talking about tonight. He said, look, it's through Christ that my life is changed. I've done all the stuff that you can do to try to get to God, and you don't get to God that way. It's fake. It doesn't produce the results that you want. The reality is, is it's faith in Christ. And when I have accepted, when Luther called out, I believe that night, that even though he was doing all the religious stuff, I believe that night when he called out in the Wittenberg Tower and said, Lord, come into my life. I believe he just was, became a Christian that night. He, he finally found his place with God that night and realized 